Father, as we as we open your word and we hear the words of Christ, we see the work of Christ. We we see that our life is in him. That all we all we have is Christ and before we had Christ and without Christ we truly had nothing. Help us father to remember the matchless immeasurable eternal gift that we have that you've made available in and through Christ in whose name we pray amen good morning grace fellowship church uh, I was reminded of a wonderful reality of God's ways being better than our ways this week and before I go further in my pre-sermon I, I want I would like for you all to actually stop for a moment and think I want to think I want you to think about a situation a relational situation that you have where there's some sort of a conflict where there's some sort of issue that you would like to see resolved in your home in your workplace just in friendships extended family an issue that needs resolution, where you're at odds with someone. Most probably, if you were able to think of something in that brief amount of time or came to mind some conflict or a, a situation you'd like to be resolved, you, you most likely think you're right about it. You most likely think you're correct. And you most likely think the other person is incorrect and looking at it wrongly. So, as you're thinking about that, this week I was able to be involved in a situation where this was the case. There was people that thought they were right and they had a difference of opinion. Romans 12.18 says, If possible, so far it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So whatever that conflict was that came to your mind, are you, as far as it is up to you, living peaceably with the other party? Are you working at reconciliation? 1 Corinthians 10.24 says, Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. In that conflictual situation, are you thinking of your own good or the good of the other party? Philippians 2, 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. It assumes we're going to look out for our own interests, and I think we ought to look out for our own interests. I don't think we ought not look for our own interests, but we are to look out for the interests of others, interests of others, not only our own with the party that we're in conflict with. If you're able to have a discussion with them, well, first of all, you ought 
we ought to try to have a discussion with them, if, if possible. As far as it depends on us, we'll live peaceably with all men. Proverbs 15.1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. When you're in the middle of the discussion, remember that a soft answer turns away wrath. A harsh word stirs up anger. In Proverbs 15.4, a gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. You may very well sit across the table with someone who is angry and loud and perverse tongue. But a gentle tongue is a tree of life. A gentle tongue will bring calm to the situation. A, 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 a soft answer turns away wrath. I watched it happen. I mean, I've watched it many times. But I was reminded of it again this week. Because of the situation I'm speaking about, there, there, there wasn't much hope for some kind of an amicable outcome. 1 Thessalonians 5.14. Now again, this is, this is for the church at Thessalonica, and this wasn't a, a group of believers. Some of the people in this conversation were believers, but not all. And yet I still think this, this, this passage is useful. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. You're most probably going to sit across from somebody in these situations, given that we try to live lives honoring the Lord. The people we're talking to may not. may not, And we're to be patient with them. Too many times I watch Christians go into situations where there's conflict and, and they sit at a table and, and they, they act just like everyone else in arguing for their way. Not really listening. Returning a harsh word for a harsh word fighting for their position. God was so awesome as I sat at this table and watched agreement and reconciliation and and a plan to work together in this, this area where there was this conflict. Now, I don't know what's going to come out of that. Most probably there will be more conflict in this situation I'm thinking of. But we know how to handle it, don't we? We sit down and we talk and we listen. And we be willing to give and to take and even to negotiate. Not, not on truth, on opinions and on desires. I know... I know that that this particular situation I'm thinking of, I don't know anything. I very strongly believe that that was headed nowhere but trouble. And some of the parties involved or peripherally involved kind of wanted trouble. We don't need trouble. As far as is up to us, we will live peaceably with all men. And we'll have a gentle answer. And we will consider others better than ourselves. And and we may we may lose something at the bargaining table, and it, it's okay. It really is okay. We can trust God's sovereignty. We we do what God tells us, and then the results will will, will leave to Him. Because I don't think any party that I sat with got everything they wanted. 
I don't think any of them would have drawn it up exactly. And yet, there were smiles on faces and hope moving forward. So if you have that, and if you need to bring somebody in, bring somebody in to help facilitate the discussion. But have the discussions. Okay. Turn to Luke 8. We're in verses 40 through 56. Today is part two of two miracles compared. Last week we saw the, the miraculous healing of a, of a woman who had menstrual bleeding for 12 years. This week we're going to look at Jesus bringing a 12-year-old girl back to life from death. So please stand as I read. And as you stand, please listen as I read Luke eight forty through 56. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. For he had only one daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had a had had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who is who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowd surrounds you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touch me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. When the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher any more." But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. You may be seated. May the Word of God work powerfully in the hearts of His people today to change us, to be more like Christ. As I told you last week, this event recorded in all three Gospels. Quite a bit of space given it. It is it is full of Christ-exalting realities. It's been very edifying for me, and I trust that it will be for all of us again today. I want to just bring us back to where we were from last week before we get into um, the rest of the of the of the verses. Uh, now, when Jesus returned, he returned from remember the east side of the Sea of Galilee. We had gone to the the country of the Gadarenes and where he had cast out the demons from the the, the crazy man and put them into the pigs that ran into the Sea of Galilee and drowned. And 
They asked him to leave, so he left, and he came back. And, and remember, we talked about the, 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 the on the other side, uh, they were waiting for him. They, they welcomed him. They were all waiting for him. Remember, we looked at that word. They were waiting anxiously. You had all these folks that just couldn't wait to have him come back. And they weren't waiting for him to come back that they might serve him as the Messiah and the king and the, the person he claimed to be. They were waiting for him to come back that, that he might serve them. They could be served. But they were anxiously waiting for him to return. And that's what he did. He, he served. And he, he set an example to us to, to be servants. And that's what he did. It's, and you think we talked about but I, I keep thinking about, you know, the, the flesh... The, the creator of all things came in the flesh and then served his creation. God, the creator of all things, came in the flesh to serve his creation, ultimately with his, his own death. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. So you had this man, Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. Remember, this would have been a very well-respected, honored, probably the most important layperson in the whole community. He was a ruler of the synagogue there in Capernaum, the synagogue where Jesus had been chased out of before. So there would have been pressure on him. And, and this, so this man would have been wealthy. He would have been well-connected. He, he would have been in with the Romans okay. Most likely, he would have been... Uh, cared for well by the rabbis. He would be a man that would seemingly need nothing. And and this was, remember, uh, Luke gives us, draws attention to us by putting the, the word iduo in there. He's saying, hey, li- listen, this is a big deal. This guy Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, this man who, who seemingly would need nothing, and falling at Jesus' feet. So this great man in the community is laying prostrate at Jesus' feet, down at his, on his knees before Christ, imploring him to come to his house. He was pleading with him to come to his house because he had an only daughter, about 12 years of his age, as she was dying. This, this powerful, honored, wealthy man who seemingly needed nothing was laying before Christ, pleading with him to come to care for his daughter who was dying. And we talked about it, and you can imagine the desperation that would be there. You know, we, we sometimes go to a doctor with our sick children. We're desperate for their help. Well, this, this man has, was desperate, and he was pleading with Christ. He, he had no place else to go. And we, we looked at the other Gospels, and he, he believed that Jesus could heal his daughter with just a touch. And so he came, and he pled with her. And as Jesus went, so we talked about Jesus went with this wealthy man who was part of a synagogue that kicked him out, uh, connected to these Pharisees who, who hated him already and would come to hate him more, and Jesus went with them. And then there was this great crowd pressing around him, so many people that they were pressing in on. Remember, it's the word that's used for choking out a plant. So there was lots of folks all gathered around him, pressing in on him. And there was a woman there was a woman in this big crowd of people and she had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And although she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. So now we have the, kind of the antithesis. We have a woman. Women aren't as respected in Israel as men. So you have a woman and this woman would have been an outcast. She would have been ashamed. She would have been, been unclean and therefore not had relationship with people in her community. 
She would have been broke. She is broke. She spent all her money with physicians. Many, you know, healing uh, attempts and nothing worked. And so she too was extremely desperate. She was desperate to be healed of this. And she too believed that Jesus was who he said he was and could heal her. And all she had to do was touch his garment. So she had this plan. And so she came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. Remember, we talked about that word is hapto. It's grabbed onto, seized. She clung to his garment. In desperation, she got close enough she could grab Jesus' garment and hang on to it. In faith that he could heal her. And immediately, immediately, her discharge of blood ceased. So her mission was accomplished. She had gotten what she wanted. She had gotten near enough to Jesus to touch him. She knew she could be healed by him. And she got close enough to him that she touched him. And she was. The discharge of blood stopped. So she could go on now. Wouldn't have to be embarrassed or ashamed in front of all these people. Wouldn't have to be called out. And Jesus said... Who was it that touched me? Jesus knew he had been touched. And he said, who was it that touched me? And then, okay, Peter, leave it to Peter. Peter says, look, there's a bunch of folks around you. Obviously, a lot of people are touching you. But Jesus said, someone touched me. For I perceived that power has gone out from me. Someone clung on to me, seeking my healing power. And I know some went out. And the woman saw she was not hidden. So now she, she knew that Jesus wanted to know who touched her. She was not going to be hidden any longer. She came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had immediately been healed. She gave a testimony of what Christ had done for her, of what condition she had been in and how she desperately had grabbed onto him and that he had healed her and that she was, she was healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. <laughs> this testimony you just gave, it, 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 it acknowledges who I am and what I've done and, and your faith in what you knew of me and it has made you well. So, so, saved. Now go in peace. He called her daughter. The only time Jesus calls anyone daughter. So he tells this child of God to go in peace. She now has peace with God. This This poor, outcast, ashamed, dirty woman is now right with God and acknowledged in front of this entire group of people that her faith had made her well and that she was saved and that she was a daughter of God, which is they all thought they were a child of God because of their their genealogy. And remember, he was on his way to the rich man's house. The important, connected, honored, wealthy, needing nothing man. We touched on this last week, but it's important to, to see that Jesus is not a respecter of persons. And so as we go out in our lives with the gospel, that some of us tend to want to go to the wealthy folks and some of us tend to want to go to the poor folks. And Jesus went to all of them. 
with the gospel. So he's healed. He saved this woman who was so desperate, who had nowhere else to go. She believed Jesus had the power to save. But now what about Jairus' daughter? What about Jairus' daughter? We're, we're now going to enter into where we left off last week. Remember how desperate Jairus was. He was desperate. He had fallen his face and pled. Again, he had a daughter who was dying and it was only daughter. He obviously loved her very much. We know how much we love our children. And, and he had no hope in anything else. So he risked his, his standing in the synagogue. He, he risked what the Pharisees and the, and the rabbis might have thought of him because he knew that Jesus had the power to heal his daughter. So he went and he pled, please come. And then Jesus was going with, and then Jesus gets interrupted by this woman. And then he does this miraculous thing right in front of the eyes of Jairus as they're headed towards Jairus' house. And then verse 49, while he, Jesus was still speaking. He was still speaking to this this daughter of God. He's in the middle of all these people. He's still speaking. And while this is still taking place, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. (laughs) So Jairus, who had just pled with Jesus to go with him, and now Jesus is going with him, filled with hope. Knowing Jesus can heal his daughter. Watching him heal this woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. They're, they're still not yet on their way, but he knows they're going. And someone comes from his household and said, guess what? Your daughter's dead. Don't bother. What? Can you imagine being Jairus? He had just had this amazing hope placed into his life when Jesus started to go with him. He had watched Jesus then healing this woman. His hope had to be increasing. And then the next thing he hears is, your daughter's dead. From hope to hopelessness. What a punch in the gut. Try to to think about that. Think about Jairus, what's going on for him right now. He's filled with hope. And the next moment, it's too late. But Jesus, on hearing this report, he answered him. He answered Jairus, he said, do not fear. Only believe and she will be well. Manas pistuo. Only believe. And I guess if you only remember two words from today's sermon, I hope it will be manas pistuo, only believe. If you're an unbeliever in this room, only believe and you will be made well. Believe and you will be saved. If you're a Christian in this room, believe and you will be made well. Jairus, only believe, and your daughter, she will be made well. Remember, in Matthew and Mark's gospel, we looked last week, Jairus believed he could heal her. Jairus was there. That's why he was pleading. He knew Jesus 
could heal her. That's why he came to him. He knew that all she had to do, all he had to do was touch her and she would be made well. And he just watched a woman touch Jesus and be made well. He knew that. He had believed that. But now she was dead. So Jesus says, no, no, keep on believing. And she will be made well. Jesus, on hearing the answer, do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. The word there is, again, sozo. Sozo, not therapueo. She will be saved. Now, because we have a fully a full understanding of salvation, this girl's dead. How can she believe on Christ? We'll get to some of that, but just understand, Jesus says that he has the power to save her, that he, need, he Jairus, need not fear. He, he gives him this aorist imperative. He gives him a command. Do not fear. Only believe. Do not fear. Do believe. Don't be hopeless. Be filled with hope. Ephesians 2.12 Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Talking about the Gentiles there, but without without God there is no hope. Jesus is the hope that connects people to eternal life with God. Have faith, Jairus, and she will be saved. Have hope. First Timothy one one, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by command of God our Savior and Jesus and Christ Jesus our hope. If you're ever hopeless, let your hopelessness be turned to hope. Turn to Christ. Have hope. Look, I was as hopeless as the day is. I was, I was, I was the epitome of hopelessness in September of '01. I had no hope, and then. I saw Christ for who he was and I was filled with hope. And still today, I have times where I'm just hopeless. And then I look to Christ and I have hope. For everything he's promised me. Isaiah 50, 10. He's telling telling Jairus, Jairus, listen. Believe, only believe. And she'll be made well. Isaiah 50.10, Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Jairus, trust in the name of Jesus. Jehovah saves. Just because your daughter is dead does not mean I cannot save her. I can. Believe. Isaiah 59.1, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull, that it cannot hear. God's reach to the person of Jesus Christ, God the Son, is never too short to save. He hears those who cry out in desperation, believing in the name, the person of Jesus, and he reaches out and saves those who believe. 
But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. Verse 51, And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. Mark's gospel gives a clearer chronology, Mark 5.37, And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of Jesus. So, as Jesus is is finishing up speaking to this woman, and the person from Jairus' household, the messenger, comes and says she is dead. And then he says, Jairus, don't fear, only believe, she'll be made well. And then they turn to go to Jairus' house. And as they turn to go, no one followed except Peter, James, John, Jairus, and his messenger. So, we all know that Peter, James, and John were the closest three to Jesus. We know that was the inner circle. This is the first time he separates them from the group. None of the other apostles went. Nobody else from the crowd with. Just Jesus, Peter, James, and John. These three closest apostles. First time we see them separated. Why? Because he did. Now, but these three then, two of these three go on to write... Words that we have before us in First John 1, 1 through 4, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was the father, which was with the father was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so your joy may be complete. John says, I saw it. I witnessed it. I watched things. I watched things like Jairus' daughter be raised from the dead. Peter says in Second Peter, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths, and we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. He's talking there about uh, the Mount of Transfiguration, but he's, just, he's speaking to, look, we, we witnessed the majesty of Christ. We saw him. We, we were there when he raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. So now you've got this traveling party of Jairus and the messenger and Peter, James, and John. No more large crowds. And he came to the house, allowed no one to enter except those three. They show up the house in verse 52, and all were weeping. And mourning for her. There was a funeral going on. Let's look at again Mark's gospel to give some some order, if you will, or chronology or more depth. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion. People weeping and wailing loudly. And when he entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion? And weeping. In Matthew's gospel, we know that there was flute players. And these flute players would be making this, this dissonant noise. Um, in my house, we have a recorder. A recorder like it's like a, you know, it's kind of like a flute. It's a straight pipe thing. It's called a recorder. Maybe there's a better name for it. It's like a straight flute, right? It's what I had when I was a little kid playing songs, right? We have it in our house. And every three-year-old that's ever come into our house takes that thing and blows into it. And it gives this dissonant noise. It's a horrible noise. They don't know how to play notes. They just make this loud, nasty sound with it. This is what they did at Jewish funerals. They had flautists who would play dissonant noises. A bunch of them at the same time making this horrible noise 
to be a, 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 a dirge, a, a, a sad, sorrowful sound because they were lamenting the death of this person. So there was a commotion. There were people weeping and mourning. Weeping, clio, to mourn, to weep, to wail. Copto, mourning, to mourn, lament, beat the breast, mourning, lamentation. So they arrive at the house of Jairus. The girl is already dead. In those, in Jewish, in, in Jewish culture, you had to bury a body by sundown. So depending on when it happened, the funeral would have already started when they got there. She was dead. And they're now having this, these flautists playing, these horrible dissonant noises, people weeping and wailing and crying and moaning. If you think about it, it's weird, right? Because when we go to a funeral, what is a funeral like for us? It's very quiet. You whisper. It's very somber. You know, there'll be people crying, but and they sometimes would weep, but mostly that draws a lot of attention, so they're mostly quiet. Well, that wasn't true for a Jewish funeral. It was just the opposite. They would even hire, and that's what they would have had here for sure, they would hire professional mourners. They would have ladies that would come to funerals and they would weep and they would wail. They would hire these flautists to come and play the the dissonant noises, the the screeching flutes all at once. So there would be people beating their breasts, howling, wailing, crying, weeping. This, this, This horrible sounding music in the background. All very... Planned out, contrived. These people were hired, most of them. Now, look, the mom might have been there and some family might have been there actually crying. But most of the people at a funeral, a Jewish funeral, and this was Jairus, remember, the ruler of the synagogue, the most important, one of the most important lay people in town. This funeral would have been a lot of folks, a lot of wailing, a lot of flautists. They are weeping and mourning, verse 52, for her, the girl. But he said, Jesus, do not weep. For she is not dead, but sleeping. Not breathing. No heartbeat. Body cold. And he says, she's just sleeping. She's not dead. He is, Jesus is defining, here in other places, he's defining that death, as we understand death, is really more like sleep. He's saying, she's not dead, she's sleeping. The reality is, her her body was there, and it was empty and dead. There was no heartbeat, there was no breathing, there was no, there was no pulse, it was a cold body. But her, that is not her. What did Jairus' daughter have that every single human being has? A soul that would never die. She's not dead. She's sleeping. This body, if rejoined with her spirit, would come alive. Because she's not dead. Listen, death is not final. And he's telling them death is not final. We must remember, brothers and sisters, death is not final. And this is what he's establishing. He's he's establishing right here, death is not final, and I, Jesus, have the power of resurrection. I have the power to rejoin a spirit with a body. 
Again, another place in Scripture we can remember. We can take a little picture, a little snapshot, and remember in our heads. Death is not final. Death is simply passing from the temporal to the eternal with really not a blip. Okay, our bodies will die. Yes, everybody in this room has a soul that will never die. It will never die. So at death, it does not die. It simply passes into eternity. Somewhere in the universe. Wherever God has it to go. Until he reunites it with a body that resurrects. Well, that's all that's happening for this girl. This 12-year-old girl. He says, she's not dead. She's just sleeping. So I want to ask the question again that I ask often. Why do we weep and wail at a funeral of a believer? We ought not weep and wail like those who have no hope. We know that death wasn't final. They, Sister Alice simply passed from this, this life into an eternal life with Christ. And we miss her. I'm sure everybody in here at times thinks of her and misses her. And we loved her and she was a great blessing to us. And yet there's nothing to cry about. Or wail about. We don't do that as those who have no hope. We believe in the power of the resurrection. We know that no nobody ever... Death is not final. It is just passing into the next eternal life. This soul that was created at conception, your soul, it will never die. So these Jews are weeping and lamenting and mourning and playing bad music and, and howling Because this girl is dead. And he says, she's not dead. She's just sleeping. Just mark it. Remember, something you already know. Something you already know. Death is not final. It is just passing from the temporal to the eternal with this soul that we have that will never die. And that is a wonderful thing for believers. Amen? Now, man, it's hard for me to think about my father-in-law dying because he doesn't know Christ. And if I, I suppose weeping and wailing, that may be cause for it. But certainly not if my wife would die. Brother Jay would die. See, we know that death isn't final. Makes the gospel all that more important, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Doesn't make Christ all the more important because we know death isn't final? And he is the one who has the power over resurrection. All bodies will be resurrected. All spirits will be resurrected and given an eternal body, one eternal body to be in glory, and the other one that's suited to take on pain, agony, suffering, and torment forever and ever and ever. And that body will sustain it. It won't go away. Mark 5.36, but overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. Remember, Jairus had believed. He had just heard this report. All these people screaming, obnoxious noises, wailing, weeping, all these hired guns to make this big show of how sad they were. And Jesus says, don't weep. She's not dead, she's sleeping. And they laughed at him. 
knowing that she was dead. Look, she has no pulse. She has no heartbeat. Her body is cold. There's no up and down of her chest. She's not breathing. She's dead. And they laugh at him. Katagaleo. To ridicule, to laugh at, to make fun of, to mock. They, they ridiculed Jesus. They mocked him. They, they laughed at him because he said, she wasn't dead but sleeping. By the way, shows how fake they were. It shows they were just hired guns. They went from lamenting, mourning, howling, wailing to laughing in a split second. As soon as Jesus told them, she's not dead. She's sleeping. Now, now Jesus is going to kick them all out. Mark five thirty nine. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside. Ekbalo means to cast out, to drive out with a note of violence. So this is used in John 2 when Jesus gets a whip of cords and chases the money changers out of the temple. This is what he did, Ekbalo. So in this same setting, he gets into Jairus' house. There's all these folks that are doing this ridiculous funeral. He tells them, she's not dead. Why are you weeping? She's not dead, but sleeping. They laugh at him, and then he drives them all out. Get out. He drove them all out, except for those who would believe. Peter, James, John, Jairus. So he drove them all out. Verse 53, but taking her by the hand, he called saying, child, arise. Taking her by the hand, krateo, hold on to, to grab, to seize. Jesus reached out and touched her. He took her by the hand, just like he took Peter's mother-in-law by the hand in Mark 131. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up and the fever left her. And she began to serve them. Mark 8.23, and he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he spat on his eyes and he laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? The demon-possessed boy that was, when, when demons went out of him, he convulsed and he passed, he went down and looked like he was dead. Looked like a corpse. Mark 9.27, but Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up. So Jesus touched her. Just as the woman had touched him, the woman with blood, now we have where this... This, this young girl is sleeping. Her body is empty of her spirit, and so he reaches and grabs her by the hand. Again, it, it makes me think of Isaiah 59.1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, or his ear dull, that it cannot hear. God reached out via, via his son to touch this 12-year-old dead girl whose spirit had departed took her by the hand, called out saying, Child, arise. Iguero, rise, stand up, get up. Again, picture this. You're Jairus, you're Peter, you're James, you're John. You're Jairus' wife. You're standing there watching. She has no pulse. She has no heartbeat. She's, she's cold. There's no breath. She's been dead a while. The funeral procession's kicked out. There she lay, and Jesus grabs her by the hand and says, Get up. Have you ever seen a dead body? You ever seen an open casket? 
Imagine someone grabbing the hand of that corpse and saying, Arise! Get up! Imagine if it was your 12-year-old only daughter. He said, taking by the hand, Talitha Kumi, that was Aramaic, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. He commanded this dead body, this cold, breathless corpse to arise. And her spirit returned. How did she come back to life? Her soul that never died returned to that shell. Numa, a breath of air coming from lungs. Numa, spirit. Her spirit returned from wherever it had gone in the universe. Wherever it was, on its way or in eternity. Returned to her and she got up at once. Christ's, God's resurrection power on display. Her spirit, her soul, separated from her body, returned to her. And she arose. All hail the power of Jesus' name. He gives an example of his resurrection power right there in front of this audience. And at once she got up, paracrima, immediately, suddenly, forthwith, instantly. Like always, when Jesus speaks to his creation, it listens and obeys immediately to His creation that is in right relationship with Him. This dead body immediately got up. John five twenty eight. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. This is exactly what's going to happen to every person that's ever been created. Their spirit that is left that shell of a body will be reunited to a body for all eternity, either to the resurrection of life, Zoe, or to the resurrection of judgment. Immediately, Luke 4, and he stood over and rebuked the fever. This is with Peter's mother-in-law, and it left her, and immediately she rose and began to serve him. The paralytic who Jesus healed in the, in the crowded home where he came through the roof, and immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he'd been lying on and went home glorifying God. Luke 8, 44, we just looked at. The woman came behind, touched the fringe of his garment. Immediately, her discharge of blood ceased. Again, we looked at this last week. I want us to think about this God, this, this Christ. Fevers and winds and waves and diseases and blood flow and demons and, and, and dead people that are healed. All immediately obey God the Son, their King. And her spirit returned and she got up at once and he directed that something should be given her to eat. This was no ghost. This was no spiritual being. This was a human being. This was Jairus' 12-year-old daughter who had laid dead, and now her spirit returned to her by the touch of Christ. She was saved. Her soul, that 
had left was brought back and she was saved. She was made whole and she needed to eat. She was flesh and blood that needed food, just like when Jesus was resurrected. Luke twenty four forty one. And while they still disbelieved for joy and they were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? This is the resurrected Christ. They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took and ate it before them. Just like Jairus' daughter, he was in, in the flesh again and needing food. This was a resurrected body, reunited with its soul. And her parents were amazed. Exist to me. That seems like maybe the, well, I guess there's no other word to do. The word means to be astonished as to almost fall, fail to comprehend what one has experienced out of their minds. Again, can you imagine? They were amazed. Mark's gospel said they were immediately overcome with amazement. Jairus comes to Jesus when he returns from the east side of the Sea of Galilee. He he falls at his feet and he pleads with him to come because he knows that a touch from Jesus can heal his sick daughter. On the way, Jesus stops and he heals a woman with a blood flow. And, and Jairus is watching. That this, is, this is him. This is the Christ. This is the Messiah. He has the power of God like he says he has. Look, I'm watching it on display. And now let's get going, Jesus. Come on, my daughter's sick and she's waiting for us. And then somebody comes up and says, guess what? She's dead. Don't bother. And Jairus' heart has to sink. And then they, they go home and the funeral's happening and Jairus walks up there already having the funeral. The guy was right, she's dead. And Jesus says, what are, you, what are you crying for? She's not dead, she's just asleep. And they all laugh at him and he kicks him out. Think about being Jairus. Think about being Jairus' wife. And then, then, then he goes into this room where she lay with Jesus and Jesus reaches and grabs her hand and says, get up. And immediately she stands up. And I'm sure she says, Dad, Mom. And I'm sure they embrace and they're excited. And they're amazed what just happened. And he says, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. How about if you just worship? How about if you just... Be joyful for God's work in your life. You don't, look, you think this wasn't going to be found out? This girl's alive. She's going to walk around Capernaum again. Those wailers, those professional weepers and wailers that laughed at Jesus, whoa, wait, ha, hold up. You think that's not going to travel? It's going to travel. Interestingly, he had just told the demon-possessed man that, that had all the demons, the legion, he had just told him, stay and go tell people. He told the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well, go and tell people. And here he says, don't tell anyone. Why? It doesn't really tell us why. But it tells us why in other places, Mark 1.40, and a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. 
I kind of want to preach this right now for another hour. This is, we already went through it though. Okay. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer your cleansing that what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. Look, if this, if Jairus, the the, one of the most important lay people in all of Capernaum, the le- a ruler in the synagogue, comes out and starts telling people about Jesus, that is just going to simply draw more attention to him. That's going to bring... I mean, he's already pressed against and can hardly move. He already went to the other side of the lake to get a rest. Don't tell anybody. John six fourteen. when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come to the world, perceiving that then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. Jesus again withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So again, you keep telling people and they're going to want something that they want. There's, there's, there's more for me to do. It wasn't yet time. Look, who didn't believe in resurrection? The Sadducees. Who was not yet on his tail? The Sadducees. Who was already on his tail? The Pharisees. I don't need to add the Sadducees too. I don't need the whole Sanhedrin after me yet. So don't tell anybody about this whole resurrection thing. But it's going to get out there, but you need not tell. In Luke 9, now this was concerning Peter's testimony. We're going to see it in a few weeks, that he is the Christ of God. And Jesus tells him, strictly charged and commanded him, tell no one this, saying the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed on the third day he be raised. Look, you can't go out and tell because this is judgment upon these rulers that are going to put me to death. They can't know that I'm the Christ. I have to go and suffer. So don't don't tell. It wasn't yet time. In in 1 Corinthians 2, Paul says, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He had to be crucified, but it wasn't time for Him to be crucified. So he, he tells Jairus, just, just don't tell anyone about this. Now, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they're all waiting for him. There was a man named Jairus who was a ruler of the synagogue, and falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. For he had only an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was that that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive the power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear. Only believe, and she will be well. 
And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and the mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, rise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Closing thought. The benefactors of these two miracles are dramatically different. Again, we had a a, a rich man, honored, respected, seemingly in need of nothing. You had a poor woman who was outcast and unclean and impoverished, isolated. Two very different. In one case, the woman reaches out to grab hold of Jesus, trusting and believing that if she just reached out to him, she would be healed. In the other case, you have a dead girl who Jesus reaches out and touches, both creating a touch, but in opposite directions, if you will. But one thing was the same. In their desperation, one thing was the same. The answer was to be found at the feet of Jesus. Anyone in here who doesn't know Christ, who hasn't seen the sinfulness of their sin, who hasn't seen their condition and their need of a Savior, it does not matter who you are, rich, poor, male, female, white, black, purple, yellow, tall, short, fat, skinny. God is no respecter of persons. If you're desperate, reach farther. Believe on Jesus. Only believe and you will be saved. Don't believe on a Jesus for a better life now. Don't believe on a Je- believe on the Jesus who died to pay the penalty for your sins. Who took on the wrath of his father to take on the, the penalty, the wrath of his father for the sins that you commit. And know that there's nothing you can do to make yourself okay. Be desperate. See the condition of your eternal soul as being separated from God if you don't know Christ. His arm's not too short and his ears aren't so dull that he can't hear. He will hear you and he will reach you. He will touch you. He will save you. The one who controls diseases, fevers, demons, wind and waves, blood flow, and even the dead is the only place of hope. He is ready to pour out his healing power on any who will believe into him. Brothers and sisters, Christians, this is the message of hope 
that we carry with us. Only believe and you will be saved. Listen, this, you know, remember John 3.36? That's the, that's the, that's the, Passage I would say to memorize for gospel proclamation. Okay, do that. It's really good. But I want you to know something. What we carry with us, what we have to offer, what we have is this. Only believe. Do the work of believing in Christ. Believe that you need a Savior. Only believe on Christ and you will be saved. It is that true and that simple, brothers and sisters. This is the message that you carry with you. This is the message of hope. This is how you turn hopelessness into hope. This is the truth. This is being shown to us over and over again. What did Jairus and the woman with the discharge have in common. They believed that Jesus was who he said he was. To all they knew up to that time. This is the message of hope. This is the message of hope for anyone without hope today. I've talked to some of you younger Adults, I've talked to you about your hopelessness. I've talked to you about your sin. I've talked to you about your the path that you're on. Know this. Know this. Christ stands ready to save you. You confess Him. He will not turn you away. You believe on your need for him and you will be saved. Father, we thank you again for the clarity of your word. We thank you for this, this compassion that we see and that we, we read about and we, we, we can't comprehend, but we're, we're growing in our knowledge of Christ and pray that we're growing in the grace of Father, help us to be more like Christ with a message of hope for rich, poor, young, old, male, female. Father, help us to to be honest with people about their sin and their need for reconciliation to you. Father, help us to be believe. Help us to believe that you stand ready to save any who would confess Christ as as Lord. Any who would repent and believe into him. Father, help us to believe that. Help us to take this message of hope forward with us. Only believe and you will be saved. Thank you, Father, for your Son. Thank you for your plan of redemption. Thank you for your word and your spirit. Amen. Stand and sing hymn 419. Hear the call of the kingdom. Hymn 419.